Konnichiwa. Welcome to the Jandals in Japan podcast. Catherine, happy new year. Happy new year, Jane, too. And I, it is definitely Kiora coming from New Zealand yeah. where I am right now. Yeah. I was going to say, what, what's the Japanese for happy new year? It slipped my mind for a bit, but it's like, is it ake o me? <laughs> ake maste o me de I actually have not said it in Japanese until right now. Really? I haven't been, you haven't had yeah, a chance to say I've it. Been, I've been writing it in emails and in messages, but I haven't actually had a chance to say it. So there you go. Oh, there you go. Wow. Wow. We're very lucky here on Jandals in Japan to have heard Catherine's first Japanese Happy New Year. So you're coming in today from New Zealand. Whereabouts are you? I am in Christchurch or Tautahi, and I know I've said that wrong again. One of my New Year's resolutions is to actually study and learn a little little bit of Tereo. And so right. I've bought a few books to get me going. Oh, awesome. Like Marry Made Easy. Marry Made Easy. Excellent. $35 yeah, from books. It's still got Paper the Plus, warehouse or... sticker on it. <laughs> oh, the warehouse. What <laughs> about the warehouse at Christmas? So, yes, I've been here since just before Christmas. I arrived and got that lovely COVID-19, but I've, I'm now recovered from that. But certainly that was a bit of drama. I mean, my mum mm. got it, my brother got it, and uh, we had a family funeral to go to. So it's been a bit of an interesting visit to New Zealand this time. But aside mm. from those things, I've really found New Zealand very expensive. Oh, well, like yeah. in what way? How much is a flat white these days? I shouted my a niece and nephew the other day, and it was $18 for only three. Mm-hmm. The three of you. Maybe that's not expensive. I was a flat white, uh, Vienna coffee and a chai latte. Okay. $18. And I might've ordered a muffin. So it was, I think it was actually a bit more than that. It was about $23. So maybe that's a lot, Hmm. but to me, if I put that in yen, if I spent that much and it was Nisen Sambyaku yen, 2,300 yen, like a hundred yen for $1, it didn't sound so much, but when I think about it in New Zealand dollars, sounds a lot. Mm, yeah. And I went shopping last <laughs> night just for one meal to make at home. Yeah, there was uh, chicken drumsticks and some vegetables and stuff, and that came to forty dollars. Ouch! And I went forty dollars for one meal. No, no wonder things are a bit yeah. bizarre. People are potentially struggling a little bit with the old food uh, prices. You may or may mm. not have heard about this egg shortage in New Zealand as well. I have heard some. I saw something about some. Yeah, we cannot make enough muffins today because. <laughs> There's, there's not enough eggs in New Zealand right now. Um, yes. Imagine if that happened in Japan, which it wouldn't because just how so important eggs are. But yes. we're also having a huge price increase in eggs here at the moment. Really? Eggs have really increased in price, yes. That yes. is funny that it's the same timing. But, yes, mm. you can go into a supermarket and there's no, absolutely nothing on the shelves. It reminds me of COVID-19 pandemic when mm. there, are not, there was no loo paper on the shelves. It's like right. that. Mm-hmm. So, right. And it's, if there is any, it's one per person. But apparently there was a law change beginning yes. of the year or just in the, mid, the beginning of January there. And if you were the, the way in which you raise the chickens on a farm, if you didn't mm. comply with the law, you couldn't do it anymore. So there was just a random decline in, in chickeny wickenies And so we've got no eggs. Right. Yes. Okay. So this no one kind of thought that through how that might affect things exactly okay. it will take how... a while for eggs to come back online then i guess so getting free range exactly. eggs. Yeah. Mm. exactly i'm all for free range um, eggs but yeah and the other thing they just said yesterday was that vegetables and fruit prices are going to go up and i think they're already quite pricey but mm-hmm. just overall to me if i'm putting out you know paying for something at the checkout it feels like a lot more expensive oh i'd say so than, than even a year ago when i was last here mm-hmm but what is amazing is there's nobody wearing like masks at all. I'd heard this little story that there was nobody wearing them and they, there is nobody. At the mm-hmm. funeral the other day, there were two people wearing a mask and I walked in and saw them and went, oh, masks. Are they okay? <laughs> Are they okay? Yeah. Yeah. One had just been in hospital, but it was just, oh, the surprise of the mask wearing. Right, seeing someone wearing After a mask four weeks you. or five weeks of not seeing. Mm. Yeah. It's funny how your brain adjusts. Are you going to be okay coming back to Japan and having to wear a mask again, Catherine? Or are you I going to be like sort of screaming sure. a little bit inside? As you... 
<laughs> I think I'm it's going to be yeah. not wearing them outside. So I have been on my walks, but I decide I've decided not to at all now to wear them outside. Mm -hmm. But inside, just to comply with the restaurant rule, yes. Yeah, yeah, of course. But I, I do think it's time Japan changed that. Like, there's no point in saying don't wear your mask outside or. You can take them off here and there, but you'll see people doing announcements in Japan, I believe still the case, mm. and they'll put them on and mm. then they take them off. And it's like, well, did you really need to do that? Maybe you should just shut front up to the microphone without a mask mm. on and just show people a bit, you know, show the way. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. People need to be brave, right? Because it's right. very much just avoiding criticism at yeah. this point, I think, yeah, that exactly. people are doing. Um, I went to baseball the other day and I was like, wow, we're all outside. We're all socially distanced but everyone's got their masks on Ooh, and it was just, and I think it was more people were just being considerate of other people rather than they mm. felt like they needed to wear a mask so that's a, a big thing isn't it like people considering others but I think maybe the others important. don't need it yeah it's yeah. Like, yeah it's important mm. it is important the thing that I also love here and that's aside from masks is the chit chat the little mm -hmm. random New Zealand little conversations you have with people here and there I just that renewed for me how lovely it is that you can be in the paper plus <laughs> or at the, you know, the mobile station and have a little chat with the people yeah, there and yeah. especially the checkout. If right. you just start with them, yeah. it's quite fun what happens. And I did this ha seven day happiness challenge. Mm -hmm. And one of the happiness challenges was to have a random chat with somebody, just strike up a conversation, ask them how they were. Mm. Um, what would, what their day was like and so i did that at the supermarket and the lady serving me had had this big bad day and had a sore back and mm. gave me the whole drama on her back but it was kind of nice to actually just listen to her and have yeah. her have a chance better, to talk. Better offload a little bit yeah yeah mm. and that was interesting i got my driver's license renewed and i lined up for 45 minutes which seemed very long for new zealand mm. uh, and had, did the same with the lady there and she talked about her being in bed with COVID on Christmas Day and I thought well that put me in perspective that mine wasn't so bad since mm. I was out on Christmas Eve so kind of those random chats I mm. love I've right. got this renewed love for it too mm. just the everyday is really quite important mm. yeah right and I think also our podcast here does bring out some of the day-to-day -day in Japan that we like the day-to-day -day in New Zealand and the comparisons and how actually they can be quite different mm-hmm yeah. Mm. Mm. And similar too across, um, you know, human beings and countries. So, mm. yeah, I sort of, I've been feeling that a lot too in New Zealand. Mm. So I've loved the trip in that respect. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. You mentioned that I have quite a few conversations in my day where I live here in the countryside here in Japan, which you potentially don't have when you live in a big city like Tokyo. But also I'm very obvious as to my role in this neighborhood as a dog owner as a mother so yes. people know how to talk to me you know like oh, how are your kids or oh what oh. a cute dog you have we have conversations based around right. obvious things You're right identified by yes. those things yes. and oh, until yes. i had a dog or a kids so nobody would talk to me but when i had my first child then i suddenly became a mother and people were like oh now we can know what to talk to her about um that's interesting and they talk to me about my kids or yeah, yeah when i got my dog oh your cute dog what's your dog's name and and all of that so it's an instant conversation starter and i yeah. in tokyo too i think yeah if you think too yeah exactly dogs. yeah i think yeah. i'll just be a bit more conscious of that and you think oh they're a checkout operator or they're a customer service person no they're actually people with things that go on in their lives and if mm. you just touch a button there you could get some really interesting mm, things at the AA there was a lady helping a brand new driver's license guy who was maybe 14 or 15 about to sit his license and she was so thorough with him and very kind and generous and as she came back past me in my line where I was for 45 minutes <laughs> I said to her you were just so kind to that chat that young guy if I was him going to my have my license, you know, didn't know what I was going to do, who had to sign my forms, witness my signatures and all that. I wouldn't know what to do. But you were so lovely with him. And she burst into tears. Oh, my goodness. She was so happy. She said, thank that you so noticed much her for making effort. my day. Mm, yeah. That's lovely. Well, I think, you know, maybe 2023 needs to be a bit more about kindness and mm. how we can help others um, and being friendly and just opening up and helping others to, to do that. Mm. There you go. Here it is. Hashtag kindness 2023. Kindness. 
<laughs> Kiwi kindness. Cultures, <laughs> right? I mean, this is exactly where we are with this this episode today, mm. right? Mm -hmm. We've got this fantastic person, Jess Souchon. Have mm. I got her name right, Jane? Well, I, that's what I think it is. So, Jess, if we've said your <laughs> name wrong, we're very, very sorry. Because we were just calling you Jess. Jess, 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 Jess. Yes, yes, yes. And exactly. we love Jess. Jess being a performance analyst for the Mitsubishi Sagamihara Dynabors rugby team. And I had no idea what a performance analyst was before mm. we talked. Me neither. So I actually asked that question, didn't I? I asked mm. her what she did. And I loved how she was out of Otago with her phys ed, mm. physical education degree, and then found this new role uh, yeah. that came about. Uh, that and integrates I, her love of sport. And she gets paid to watch sport is what she said. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's and a really great get, story. We mm. might get an arubaito, a sort of part-time job out of this. If you listen and you'll hear what we talk about there. But we loved this conversation, how she created this job here, how she's really worked through those cultural differences mm. between Japan and New Zealand, but also not pushed the boundaries on every single thing. She's she's done so well to have this um, wonderful profession in Japan, doing rugby, enjoying sport and, and having fun. We can't wait to meet Jess in person too. Mm, I hope, hopefully get to meet her this year. And yeah, we hope you enjoyed this episode with Jess. Kia ora Jess, welcome to Channels in Japan. Great to have you on the show today. Good morning. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> welcome. All right, we have our warm up question for you today. So you are out and about, you are feeling very hungry and you see a 7-Eleven convenience store, you go in, what do you buy? Oh, tough question. Yeah. A lot of good things in the 7-Eleven. I am mm. a bit of a sucker for a hash brown and 7-Eleven do very good hash browns. No way. Um, really? Yeah. Better than, well, of the convenience stores, they've got. <laughs> You've tried them all. <laughs> I, I may have done that. Yeah. Um, so I'm a bit of a sucker for a, for a hash brown, but you can't go past the uh, the pancakes as well. They're also. Ah, we've good. had a vote yeah. for pancakes before. I think it was Hayden who was into <laughs> the pancakes, actually. Hayden, Hayden may have introduced me to the pancakes as well. So, right. Um, so we like, can blame it on Hayden. Yeah. 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 Awesome. <laughs> How about you, Catherine? What, what would you buy if you were Ooh. super hungry and 7-Eleven comes into view? You've got no food on you and you're like, I need something to eat. You jump into 7-Eleven, what do you grab? Ooh. Well, I don't mind actually those, you know, what are they, the chicken, fried chicken they have? Yes. They're actually not overly fried. They're quite acceptable. They're really, and they're very, very easy to eat because you just rip the top part off and you're still holding the little packet without mm. getting greasy fingers. I mean, yeah. typical Japan, they package everything so well that you're not going to get dirty. So yeah. that one I would go to, I think. Yeah, chicken, some kind yeah, of fried chicken. Yeah, but I'm going to try hash brown. Mm. That sounds like an awesome yeah, idea. Even it's think a, it's a certain kind of day, a certain uh, time of day. Uh, right. Yeah, yeah. Right. But they, they're good, I recommend. Mm. Okay. Jane, what about you? I would hit the onigiri section. Oh, yeah. And I That's would good. look, I like the the triangle shaped ones that have a lot of seaweed, you know, the nori, you know, waiting to be unwrapped and then it's all crunchy and you bite into it and it goes, it's really yummy. Um, and yeah, recently teaching someone how to open their onigiri again was a real, real treat. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, that's right. People don't know how to do this. Yeah. It's, it's a bit of a skill to opening up your onigiri. So that's my go-to. I like, um. And increasingly, I like the, I like to call it old ladies um, crack. <laughs> it's like got um, umeboshi and kombu in it. So it's got oh. all the old, like sort of old school taste, Japan taste in it. I'm oh. liking those more and more. And it's concerning me a little bit. That <laughs> well, I knew you were going to say onigiri. So much. Yeah. I knew you were going to say onigiri. That's why I went for the chicken this time. So, oh, okay. so we can yeah, have a let me variety have the for our listeners. Yeah. <laughs> All good choices, though, I must admit. Well, Jess, we're so happy to have you on the show. And a big shout out to Sally Townsend, who sat next to you on an aircraft coming back via, you went through via Australia, I think, to come back to Tokyo. And she introduced you to us. And we're super happy to have you on the show. Thanks, Sally. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was a weird, the meeting, it was so crazy. But um, it's been it's been cool to sort of get to know a few more people outside of 
the rugby environment. So, yeah, thanks, Sally. Yeah, wow. And so, yes, you've mentioned rugby, and we know that you are deep into rugby and sport in general, and you're a performance analyst, uh, and you do that particularly for the Mitsubishi Heavy Industries Dynabores team. And we recently had that lovely chap who's in the team, Hayden Bedwell-Curtis, on the show, and he was just oh, so fun to have. And so we're really glad to have you here to give a different perspective about your life and how you've been a successful gentle in Japan. So welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much. Well, we're going to put your full bio into the show notes later on, but just tell us how you got to get this job, why you are in Japan, and what is going on? Well, it's a bit of a, a bit of a long-winded story and, and probably not very typical, if I'm honest. So I, I studied in Dunedin. Um, I did my undergrad down there. I went to University of Otago. Shout out to, to all oh the alum there. Um, great place. <laughs> And then after I finished studying, I kind of wasn't really sure what I was going to do with my life. My PE degree was not quite as accepted as as one would hope when you're coming out of university. And so I went traveling for a year and came back and um, there was an opportunity to go back to Dunedin and, and study performance analysis. And I didn't really know that it was a job or that that it really existed. Um, I love sport and have always been involved, but just didn't really know that this was kind of a, a pathway uh, that was available. So that was that was pretty cool to to find that out and didn't know if I would enjoy it or what the go was, but the opportunity was to go down and study at Otago Polytech and be an intern with the Southern Steel for a year, uh, the netball team down there, um, when Nolene Taro was coaching. She's now the Silver Ferns coach, uh, one of the most amazing coaches I've ever wow. worked with. So wow. that opportunity was just, it was just way too much to to yeah. give up. So Goosebumps on that. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. It was, mm. Nolene is amazing. Um, and I learned, I learned so much from her. So that was a really cool, cool year. Spent time with Otago rugby and did cricket and, and netball and came out and was kind of like, yeah, this is, this is cool. You get to watch professional sport for a living. Like what, <laughs> what better job? could you have and so I headed back up to back up home which is Pyro in the Waikato and ended up uh County's Manukau Steelers and the Northern Stars netball team were both looking for for analysts and I managed to to get those jobs which was cool at the time there was not a real full-time it wasn't a 12-month full-time sort of role well in terms of workload probably full-time but resources didn't really allow for that so I was running running both of those I actually ended up doing a bit of cricket in the summer as well so really yeah so the three three sports sort of got me through cricket in the summer then we'd move into netball would overlap a little bit and then rugby overlap a little bit later into the year and so that was my my workflow I guess through the three seasons and so I lived in Auckland and I learned so much with those teams and uh, some very, very cool people around those environments. And then I was sort of looking to go, I wanted to go overseas was where it was at, but um, I had a, f- a few more months left in New Zealand and I was at a netball tournament in uh, Nelson and I got this this phone call and was from Halo Sport mm-hmm. and I just figured they were looking for some, uh, some clips on one of my players. Um, we often do scouting videos and help guys get contracts elsewhere and and so I just assumed that they wanted uh some footage of someone so we played phone tag a little bit and in the end talked to one of the halo guys and they're like we've got uh analyst role going in Japan your name's been given to us by a few different people would you be keen and I said yes obviously because (laughs) was a no-brainer for you yeah yeah Um, I I mean a few went back and forth with a few things and it was about must have been four weeks later I was on a plane up to Japan it was very quick uh all happened very quickly visas came through and and I was pretty much on a plane so me getting to Japan was very random and unexpected Japan had never really been on my list and I'm not sure why because rugby here is growing and uh the world cup was here and this is literally just after the world cup so I don't know why Japan wasn't on my list but yeah, so got on a plane and now just coming into my fourth season um, with the Dynabores 
that's how I sort of ended ended up in Japan. It was all very unexpected, but it's been awesome. I love Japan and I love the rugby up here and couldn't have asked for a, a better place to end up, really. Questions. Oh, my God, so many questions. So many questions. <laughs> so one, like, say it's like October, the 1st of October, and it's like, the first of November, it's the first of October, you hadn't thought of moving to Japan. And then suddenly on the first of November, you've picked up your life and you've moved to Japan. Kind yeah, of. almost. It was like that. Um, yeah, it was early December. I was at a netball tournament in Nelson. I was meant to finish that netball season. I was lucky that they understood the opportunity was too much to to give up. And um, they were nice enough to, to release me from my contract. And yeah, literally on the 13th of January. I flew out of home. It was a long day. Uh, home Auckland, Auckland, Tokyo, Tokyo, Osaka, straight to the team hotel because we had a game the next oh day. <laughs> it was it was a hell of an experience. Um, wow! And I all this new stuff hitting you yeah, all at once, right? Yeah. And I I hadn't really talked to anyone <laughs> on the team, and I talked to the head coach once, like briefly. I tried to Google the team, and I couldn't find anything and I was like where am I like am I actually going somewhere this is, like to this, is this, yeah. Yeah, this is for real yes <laughs> and so luckily I had someone pick me up in Tokyo and took me on the Shinkansen down to Osaka and then met the team at the hotel and I was a mess I was in my tracksuit and I had this floral bag with me and and uh so they took me up to my room and and said breakfast is on the 18th floor um we'll see you at 11 o'clock to go to the game tomorrow I still this is my like welcome to Japan moment but went to the 18th floor of this hotel we were staying at and it's full floor to roof glass windows of the Osaka castle. And it was amazing. Um, I still, yeah, to this day, one of the most amazing things I've seen. And then, yeah, went to the game. I was in my track suits, everyone's in team suits and <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing, but it was great. And how was it being like those first few days getting in there and are you the first woman that they've had in this position? Like, I have to ask the, about the elephant in the room. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, For my team, yes, the first um, female analyst. Uh, the Honda Heat also have um, a female analyst. She's amazing. She is also the women's national team analyst, and she speaks some good English, so we get on really well. Um, so there's a couple of us up here, which is awesome. But, yeah, those first few days were were crazy. Um, I came in really late with how it all happened. I missed the preseason, so I literally came in for game one. Um, so I didn't have to to get right into things straight away. I pretty much just watched that first game and got myself situated a little bit. And then we came back to, to Hashimoto, and I had about a week to sort of get myself together and then we got into it. We actually only played six games that season because that's when COVID hit. Mm. So it was a whole experience in itself that first sort mm. of eight weeks getting up here and starting it all. But I'm still here and um, it's been an amazing experience since. Wow. Do you remember that, like sitting there or standing there watching that first game, what was going through your mind? What sort of things about Japan or the whole, the sounds or the way that the game was being played? Was it, can you remember things from that time that surprised you or made you think, wow, this is Japan. This yeah. is how they do rugby here. So we were playing at Hanazono, which is quite an amazing stadium, um, if you've ever been there. And so for me, just that in general, the stadium was awesome, but it was freezing. It was near snowing. And the fans came piling into the stadium as soon as the gates opened, which was like an hour and a half before kickoff. And it was so cold. And they were just, the Japanese fans are unreal. They are insane. Their dedication and their love for the game is insane. And so that's probably the one thing that really, really mm. stuck out to me was their want to come and sit in the, it's almost snowing and they're wanting to watch rugby. Um, so that's one thing that even to this day still amazes me about the fans. And it was so different to home in terms of the coaching box set up and what we received and how everything worked was very, very different to home. So it was a bit of an eye-opening experience that it was going to be probably quite different to what I was used to. So, And then just the language. I had a translator, but he obviously has quite important role on game day. So I was kind of just hanging out. <laughs> It was great. It was great. I loved it. But. How was all that set up different though? You've said it was different. What In what way was it different? Um, so at home, the coach's box is, um, we have a, a proper coach's box. It's 
all sealed off from the crowd or um, the opposition. We have um, feeds from the the TV broadcasters. So at home, it's it's Sky. Here, it's J Sport, um, which come into the the coaches' box, and you we capture them and provide a, a setup to the coaches so they can watch the game live. Fast forward, rewind, help with making decisions and and all of that can replay things that went well or things that didn't go so well. And so we have that set up at home. I had probably four or five laptops at home that we would set up here. We were in almost in the stands. Um, there was no feed. We were videoing the game ourselves and capturing it. And to be honest, I can't remember if the coaches had video in front of them. Um, I want to say no, probably not. So yeah, it was just it was just very different to what I'd always known as to be a game day coach's walk set up. And it was nothing mm-hmm. like I was used to. So yeah. Has it changed since then? Has yeah. it sort of improved? Is- yeah, <laughs> insanely. So over the last few years there's definitely been a shift in the analysis area. A lot of it is you don't know what you don't know. And so this is how it's always been done. But Japan rugby is growing so much and becoming more professional that analysis has to sort of go with that as well. So a lot of it's largely been led um, by the analysts. We chat with each other a lot, understand that we sort of need each other to be able to do our jobs. Um, It seems silly for two teams to be filming the same view. You have eight cameras out filming four views um, when you could have four cameras and you share it. So definitely um, grown a lot more. We now get feeds to the coaches' boxes. So we get four four angles into our coaches' box now, and my coaches can sort of pick which ones they want to see. We still haven't quite nailed the coaches' box area. Sometimes we have tables over the stands and the public's like right there, <laughs> um, which is not so great, but it's, it's definitely improved. There's um, someone in in the league now who is sort of responsible for the for the analysis side of it and communicating with the analysts. So uh, in the four years, it's grown so much. Still a lot to go, but um, has changed quite a bit since when I first arrived. So what is the analyst role? I mean, I can pick up a little bit from what you're saying, that you're viewing the style of the play and what they're doing, but what is it exactly in your words? The, the quick and easy way of explaining it is I do all the video and statistics. Um, for the team but going into that a little bit more so we we do manage all of the video we video trainings we video the games generally we've got anywhere between four to six seven cameras out and about filming different views depending on what the game is or what the training is and so we put that all together so that we can review it the coaches the players can review the games and trainings and opposition and all of that an extension of that is the statistics. So we we do all the the post match reports, the training reports, the preview reports, all encompassing stats and video wow. is sort of what what the role is. It's sort of split into three major areas. So we have uh, the preview, which is looking at our opposition. Generally speaking, we're working about ten days to two weeks in advance of the game that we're actually playing. We get all the video together, and make sure that that's all um, set up for the coaches. Each coach looks at different things, so we give them different aspects of the video to help them with that. And then we have preview reports, trends and and statistics and what those teams have been doing to help bring that to life and create a game plan that's hopefully going to help us help us win. So um, collaborative with the coaches, but we sort of give a base for them to start from. Second part of the week is, is training. Um, so we film all of our trainings. We've minimum we have two cameras out maximum we're generally running six is probably a little bit excessive but sometimes we do so we video everything on field we put that together for the coaches after we have an online platform it goes up for the boys to review afterwards um, so that we can ensure that we're doing what we're asking for essentially that the we're practicing and putting the game plan into place at training so that we can do it on game day and then last part of the week is the best part of the week. Game day is definitely the best day of the week. Mm. We set up the coaches box. That's all our responsibility. Make sure that coaches have got the views that they want to see, that everything's all working. On game day, I I code, which is essentially I tag instances that's happening in the game. So the lineouts, the scrums, the tries, what's happening so that 
when the game finishes, the coaches and the boys have a what we call a timeline. And so my scrum coach can go through and just watch all of the scrums that we had during the game. Or uh, my tech coach can go and look at the phases. So we yeah, create instances for those for those coaches to help with what they're looking at. And a lead on from that is that it also builds our stats reports. Uh, so we have a, a full post-match stat report, which goes out uh, the following morning to the coaches and the players, individuals, team stats, possession territory, all that sort of stuff. And then we start the week again. And we yeah, go again. <laughs> and yeah. Those are our three big real rocks. There's mm-hmm. um, a few things in between it, but that sort of covers everything that the, the analyst does. So now that we've heard what you do and you've told us a story about how this position came to you, which was probably not what you're expecting, what would you say to someone who is like listening to this and going, I want to be doing that job in Japan? How do I get there? What would you say to that person from your vast experience? <laughs> Rugby is an insanely small world. Everyone that you know knows someone else. Um, so those relationships and those connections are probably for me the most important, the important thing. All of my jobs that I've got in analysis have come from relationships that I've had with someone else. Someone's put my name forward for this or recommended me for this. So everything that I've done in the analysis world has been through the people that I know. Obviously, some of that is you need to to be able to do an okay job, which I I hope I'm doing an okay job, but it's definitely all about the people and it's a pretty tough place to start. Um, There was a bit of a grind early on being willing to, to put those hours in is definitely one. It's not your typical nine to five Monday to Friday. We do long nights and we play Saturdays or Sundays. Mm. So understanding, understanding that is key, getting any opportunity that you can to sort of get involved with a team. Um, you have to start somewhere. And so even if it's volunteering, say, hey, do you want me to hold a camera? Someone holding a camera. I love it when people say, people say I can hold that camera for you. Um, Should we come so... hold a camera, Catherine? <laughs> we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll volunteer to come hold I'm, I'm taking interns. So <laughs> anyone who wants to come Ooh, hold a camera. we could be an intern. Oh, yeah, good. There you go. Learn a I'll little bit that. about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's about creating those relationships and working hard to sort of, be that that team person in the environment that comes from there initially getting to Japan definitely still those relationships I probably can't express that enough how how important the the people and the relationships are in rugby not just analysis it's the physios it's the docs it's the coaches it's in Japan it's the translators so there's there's so much to it uh outside of just analysis so uh, Mm. yeah for me it's probably those relationships how do you keep them going? What is it that you do? I mean, after a game, you're doing all the stats for the next day because you've got to produce the report. So I guess the others might be going and having drinks and eating together. How do you then make yourself more involved in the team and build, continue to build those relationships? Yeah, Japan? you're you're yeah. 100% right. I mean, a prime example of this, we were in Beppu um, a couple of weeks ago at camp and we played a game on the last last day of camp and we had a team dinner afterwards. And we had some work to do. And so we we went to the team function and had dinner with the boys and the team and made sure that we were there for for the main part, for the important part. Um, sometimes there's an understanding that you need to be there and connect with the team. Mm-hmm. Um, but everyone knew that we did have to then go and do some work. So it's just about balancing, balancing that you can't hide in a corner and be a hermit because you won't have those relationships or those connections with the team. Um, but you also need to produce your work the next day. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a really fine line to balance. Yeah. And it is important to show up for those things Like you yeah. have to be there for the ceremonial things, right? Even yeah, if you're definitely. just one of the 100 people in the room, yeah. you yeah. have to be there for that. Right. Yeah. So remembering that and as I, well. Mm. I think, um, for me, if I don't connect with the boys, they don't feel comfortable coming to talk to me about analysis related if there's something that they need help with the more I connect with them and the more they feel comfortable albeit we do have a bit of a language barrier here in Japan but it's still about making that effort so that they do feel comfortable coming to talk because 
that's how we learn. If if they need help with something and I can do it, I need them to feel comfortable to come and talk to me. So it's hugely important. So you gave us that really great story of like how different it was for you arriving in Japan. What are some of the other things you've noticed about the differences between Japan rugby and New Zealand rugby that people can learn from? It's funny you ask. This is something that's probably take it took me a really long time to understand the the differences in the cultural aspects of mm-hmm. it all. It really frustrated me for probably the first 18 months that I was here. It took me a real long time to to fully understand it and that there are some things that I can influence and that there are some things that I I probably just have to to give in to those. Um and it's about finding that that balance of what I can go at and what I need to pull back on. Um, And that took me a really long time Mm. to figure out, probably more time than I would like to admit. Um, Head banging against the wall. Yeah, 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 yeah. definitely. And I think part of it is that I'm a foreign female who doesn't speak Japanese. So that was really tough. People would automatically go to my Japanese assistants, even if they spoke English or, or we'd spoken before, they still go to my Japanese assistants. Um, so that was really, really tough initially. Um, and I've kind of come to, well, not understand, but just you can deal with it. That's <laughs> pretty much what it's, what it's come to. It's definitely getting a bit a bit better now. The more that I've been um, in Japan rugby and got to know all of the other analysts and people around, definitely not in my team. My team, I don't have that issue at all, but outside of our little bubble, that's definitely something that I've struggled with massively, but have sort of the last little while just tried to not let it. It's not something I can really control or mm. am going to be able to change, I don't think. So I've let that one go a little bit. Um, but other things, just like the coaches, besides the players, the coaches are the, the second most important people on game day. And so their setup needs to be, conducive to coaching and teaching and and helping the boys win and we don't really get that we are bottom of the priority list and so we kind of get just put anywhere in the stadium and so I really battled with that early on about not being able to give my coaches a place to do their jobs well from Mm -hmm. um, in terms of what I could help and deliver there and again that's also changing a little bit so yeah, that was it was pretty tough. I think I'm just about there now. No, oh, awesome. Catherine, you're listening to this. Are you hearing anything from your years of experience working yeah. in various organizations that yeah. might be helpful for I think it's that pick your battles, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And there are yeah. some things you absolutely can't change and probably at the end of the day shouldn't and yeah. don't need to. We think we do because of where we've come from in our mindset and what we've been used to or trained in. But actually, some of the ways that Japan does things, many of the ways Japan does things, is actually an okay way. And it, it's yeah. us that needs to make the shift, yeah. not them. Yeah. And I think that's where that adjustment on the cultural side of things, especially in what you're doing, uh, and in any organization where you've got a, a team and you've got leaders and you've got support people in the different functions, you know, I call you a different function supporting the, the team. That's where you also need to know oh, I don't need to worry about this. This is someone else. And if give it to someone else, they observe you doing the delegation, but when they need the help, they'll come back to you. And that's when they'll see your leadership coming back into the, you know, into the piece that needs to be done. So I feel that's a really great tip that you've given away there is that you can't change everything. You can't do everything yourself. You've actually got to let go and knowing when to do that and just be okay with it. That's a big part of being in Japan and being successful here. If you come in with this, I'm going to change things and that's not the right way, then actually, hang on a minute, let's look internally. Right, Jane, would you sort of have a similar thing going on there? No, definitely, yeah. I definitely also spent a long time banging my head against the wall Mm. thinking this is wrong, why are we doing it this way, this is so whatever. But actually it was it's not my business to change it. And of course there were some things I will go out to bat for and have made a positive difference in changing things but yeah really picking and choosing your battles for the stuff that really matters and that you can actually get people on board with you about and then they're like yeah thanks for that that was awesome we actually really like this this is great so what is that is maybe not everything definitely i think 
I think for me, I really struggled with this idea because I'd been brought into Japan for my expertise. Right. And in order to do my job well, what I'd been taught, I wasn't able to do it. And so that whole concept of picking and choosing my battles, but also trying to deliver on what I'd been brought over to Japan to do, I really yeah. struggled with that. It took And it took me a long time to, mm. to understand it and, yeah. Well, you said you're now here, which is great. And is there something, do you think, about being a Kiwi that is giving you kind of X factor or making things a bit different? And maybe the way that we Kiwis coming into Japan are playing in rugby teams, such as Hayden, is there any way that we do things differently that really does help Japan? That's a great thing that's going on with that sort of X factor, we might call it. Yeah, I think I think because at home in New Zealand, rugby is it's a way of life. It's it's a lifestyle essentially. And people have been involved with rugby since for as long as they can remember. And uh, I think with New Zealand rugby, there's a a professionalism and an understanding of how the game I wanna say is played, but that's not necessarily true. Just because we do it in New Zealand doesn't mean it's the right way or the best way to do it. But I mean, our team is very New Zealand. We've got a lot of players from New Zealand, but there's players from Australia and South Africa and the UK. And um, there's lots of different foreigners here bringing in their expertise. But in terms of the New Zealanders, New Zealand has played rugby and has been successful in rugby for a long time. So the Kiwis here have sort of that expertise in how to, to be the professional athlete and to be the professional coach or analyst or and because Japan rugby is so young and still growing that's what we're bringing in is to help them build more towards that that professionalism and the way the game's played I mean the game here is very different to the game in New Zealand the Mm -hmm. style but we just bring a bit of expertise that hasn't yet fully come through in Japan rugby and but it will do soon Mm -hmm. they're coming along very quickly yeah. They are, and I think that mm. that thing you just mentioned, that the style is different, but it's mm. changing. We noticed that Jane and I were at the Brave Blossoms All Blacks match oh, yes. recently in Japan and just noticing how Japan has changed its game. I mean, perhaps Jamie Joseph, perhaps different influences coming in there. Really, Japan is going to give other teams, as well as the All Blacks, a fright uh, yeah. next time I think they get together. So, mm. But I loved also your point about we grow up with rugby it's ingrained in our culture yeah. and people yeah. call it a religion sometimes whereas japan they pick it up yeah halfway through their life it's not ingrained and so we do have a different approach and i think you've called that out quite nicely there that the professionalism or the way that we do things is different to picking it up as a hobby or that you choose um after you've got this big selection to choose from and then and picking it up halfway through your life you know we're not yeah. kicking all around at three or four in the backyard like yeah definitely yeah, doing definitely. New Zealand yeah yeah, mm. yeah it's a it's a different way of coming into the game and a lot of the the Kiwi kids have, have been playing it like you say from from three years old but our Japanese boys have only been in the game five six mm. ten years um so there is a, a difference straight away in that mm. and not just the boys the I mean the Black Ferns are changing the game as well um in a yes. massive way so yeah, hopefully inspire a few more young girls to get involved yeah. in rugby a little bit more. Black Firm's doing better than the All Blacks this year, yeah. I would say. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You must be seeing, like, obviously rugby is booming in Japan and the industry around rugby must be booming as well. What are the opportunities for Kiwi businesses potentially to come into Japan to support that boom? Do you Can you see any opportunities oh. there from your position? Might be a bit of a tricky question. Yeah. 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 Definitely a little bit of a tricky question. Rugby in Japan is very different because it's built from the companies. Right. Um, it started off as a company competition. The teams are all from company. We're, we're with Mitsubishi. The teams that you know are Panasonic and Suntory and all these big, big companies. That's where the game started in Japan. They're trying to move away from that. My understanding is that they're trying to move away from that a little bit and make it more of a, a regional I think now you have to have a name of a place where you're from in your overall name. So whether right. representing a region as well yeah, as a company, whether right? um, Mitsubishi Heavy Industries, Sagamihara, 
Dynabors. <laughs> um, yeah. But there's the um, the Saitama Panasonic uh, Wild Knights. Everyone's got a region now that they're trying to support. And so I think the game's changing from just being fully company orientated to moving towards more what we see in other places around the sponsorships coming in and it not just be f- being fully funded by this one company. There's definitely, I think, an opportunity to to bring that sponsorship in. And I think that's probably the place that businesses coming into New Zealand could look to explore a little bit more. Mm-hmm. That's interesting, right? Because Japan is very much about the regions and the distinct foods or things that happen. Yeah. You know, festivals. So how a New Zealand company could tap into the regional aspects of Japan could be very interesting. Yes, yes, definitely. Mm. Um, I'm sure places like uh, Zesbury, who are they're quite big here, that um, down in Fukuoka, mm. there might be something mm. around tapping into the, the kiwi fruit and how that works. I don't know, loosely offer. What's the team in <laughs> Fukuoka called? Well, there's not actually any teams in Fukuoka at the moment. They've all been uh-huh. um, Coke and uh, there was a couple of teams down there who have sort of disbanded um, recently with the change. Mm. So there's actually no teams in Fukuoka at the moment. There is a team trying to be introduced. Um, mm. They're looking to come in through Division 3. I'm not sure where they're at at the moment, but uh, a team is hopefully coming up from down there. Most of the teams are based in largely the wider Tokyo region mm. and towards Osaka a little bit. But, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely an opportunity in Fukuoka to... Imagine that. You know, yeah. Create a yeah. team down A there. healthy brand, <laughs> all, all about wellness. A big brand like that, New Zealand being the first to wrap around a, a, a team yeah. in Japan. Whoa, we've just said it. Zespri, go do it. Yeah, or someone go. else. But that sounds <laughs> You heard it here first. <laughs> wow. Goodness. If you were going to be coming back into Japan again, like now, fresh, or you were speaking with somebody who's thinking about coming in, what kind of one or two or three tips would you give to them to help them come in a little bit smoothly or to enjoy their landing experience here? We've actually just had a couple of players come in recently. And so I have had a few of these discussions um, because I I was that person Um, we all were yeah yeah well (laughs) I tell this to everyone but I wish I'd been told when I first arrived so the stop signs in Japan are the same shape as a giveaway sign in New Zealand oh yes I learned that the hard way oh god with a 8,000 yen ticket um yeah yeah I learned that a very difficult way and quite a while after I'd arrived in Japan (laughs) <laughs> so, <laughs> so I kind of wish someone had told me that early it's not rugby related or anything but yeah when you're driving I think for me embracing the culture and embracing where you are like Japan is an amazing place and it's so beautiful and it's a different way of life to to what we know at home but we're choosing to come and live here and so you might not agree with it or you might think the way that you do things is better, but give it a chance because, I mean, some things definitely <laughs> you go yeah, back to, to what yeah. you know, yeah. but definitely try and embrace everything about it because you will enjoy it so much more. It just took me a little bit longer to fully get that. So that would hey, be Hey, you've only been here three years <laughs> only, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think God, it must have been at least ten before I was like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about <laughs> getting." <laughs> and then, then you do something else that like you get married, and it's like, "Oh, okay, new challenges," or you build a house. And oh, also okay, you've had yeah. a pandemic, right? Yeah, you man. Been, yeah. Had the associations with the teams and the training mm, and all of that been hasn't been going stunted, on. So yeah, the yeah. the pandemic has that has made living in Japan really difficult. Yeah, just in terms of we weren't allowed to do anything. No. And I've been to all these amazing cities around Japan to play rugby. And we've sat in hotels and gone to stadiums and then come back. And we weren't allowed to go out for dinner or we weren't allowed to. I love being a tourist. It's one of my favorite pastimes. Um, and I've not been able to do that at all. Yeah, we weren't allowed to have, have dinner with your teammates or anything like that. So COVID was really, really difficult in trying to embrace where we were because we couldn't experience any of it so mm. yeah. yeah it's nice to be a little bit more open uh and get to see a bit more of, of japan mm. definitely 
gosh. Is there anything else you thought we'd ask you and we haven't that you want to tell us? Oh, not really. I don't think. <laughs> okay. Is there anything you else you us? would yeah. like to ask us? What was your welcome to Japan moment? Oh, for me, I think it was a couple of things. The first thing was I arrived in November and it was seeing persimmons on the tree outside my window <laughs> for the first time ever. I mean, I'd seen lots yeah. of fruit on trees in New Zealand, but I'd never seen that yellow, yeah. orangey yellow kaki, right? The persimmon. That was one thing. And then soon after that, it snowed like nothing else. Yeah. And I've never been in one to two feet of snow and just the efficiency of Japan and getting all the footpaths all ready and for people to walk on and to make the entranceways, there's somebody out there sweeping the snow away. And that blew me away that this is Japan, how efficient yeah. it is. I think those two things, because yeah. they were very soon after each other that I was seeing these this beautiful scenery and then the efficiency, right? So that no one would fall over as they're going to work in yeah. this huge snowfall. I, I loved that. That was my yeah. sort of Japan moment, I think. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. I, I wish I had something really nice to say but my <laughs> mine's not great <laughs> i'm sure it's i'm sure it's, it's, it's a bit of on. like life is like a box of chocolate um my like i'm in japan moment was was like oh whoa this is japan was not glamorous at all it was like holy moly this is japan as in um, the first place i was given to live when i arrived was a um, showa era apartment so it had no insulation and it had a twin tub washing machine that like my grandmother would have used in the 1950s and it had this heating hot water heating system where you had to turn a knob and crank a handle to get the gas going and it was very cryptic and i had like i couldn't work it i didn't understand how this contraption works so out of desperation went to my neighbors next door and was like hello i'm you know i could speak a little bit of japanese thank goodness i could say hello can you help me and yeah. so they were like oh poor foreigner yes okay so they came next door <laughs> and they showed me how to turn and crank the handle so i could have a hot shower because it was the middle of summer and i was i just traveled uh, you know 16 hours to get yeah no, more than that like 24 hours or something to get all the way to fukushima so yeah it was not a great yeah. start i was like oh my god am i what is this third world country I'm living in? <laughs> this is, but I'm supposed to be living in the most modern country in the world. Yeah. Have I gone back in time or something? Yeah. But it turned out I was living next to the most lovely family who looked after me, and they were like, you know, here's oh, food awesome. and and teaching me things gently, like don't walk outside without your shoes on, um, or and don't come, walk inside with your shoes. Yeah, on. and come back and yeah. and come into our house with bare feet with your dirty bare feet that you've just walked outside um, and they taught me that gently by leaving like going out and buying me some sandals and leaving it on my door oh that's nice that's, isn't it yeah, but for years cute. I was like I don't understand why they did that and then like about three years later I was like oh that's why because <laughs> it took me like yeah. years to understand Love what they've it. done subtle Subtle, yeah. so subtle like oh she obviously doesn't have any shoes to wear so we better go and buy her some Oh, how sweet. Um, but yeah, I got this really, really taken care of by random strangers who live, yeah. happen to live next door to me. You reminded me, Jane, though, of like that when I just explained what I did with the snow and the, the persimmons, that was when I came to live here. But before that, one, my, my first visit to Japan with the group when I was studying Japanese, we came and did a New Zealand fair up in Nagano Prefecture, up in the mountains, and we were all put into this dormitory. And I remember we were all arrived, we were all tired, and we went, girls went to the bathroom, and it was all the Japanese-style toilet of crouching. And we were like, no way, no way, this cannot be it. And for uh, three weeks we were there, we all thought that was the style. And then somebody didn't discover that, well, I didn't discover personally, that at the very end toilet was actually a Jap not a Japanese one, a Western-style. And we'd suffered the whole time without actually finding out. So I think that was my Japan yeah. awful moment of why do they have these in Japan? What is the benefit? Yeah. Don't you want to sit? Why are we doing this? So that was my worst thing, I think, to compare to yours, Jane, <laughs> when I first arrived thinking, no. And I thought, that, was that you know, what is this? The hidden Western toilet behind the door yeah. that's closed that you think is a broom cupboard yeah. is actually a Western toilet hidden that's in there. That's what it was. We yes. all thought that was where they had yes. all the cleaning materials. Mm -hmm. And I come mm -hmm. oh, discovery. Yeah. So it all got round everybody and everyone went and had a try and it was just like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's always one somewhere. Just always be aware <laughs> of that. Is. But lovely yeah. stories. Oh, funny. Awesome. Oh, I have one more question. Hmm. My friends are coming in February, which I'm very excited about. Where would your go-to place be to take 
someone for coming to Japan for the first time? Uh, tempted to say the big places, but also not. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like Osaka, Kyoto, but everybody yeah. goes there and yeah. it feels very put on kind of. Yeah. yeah. Catherine? Oh, I'm just writing down a few. So um, <laughs> I, I would that. I would take you down to the area like uh, Okayama, so Kurashiki. Kurashiki mm-hmm. is where it's a sister city of Christchurch. Oh, yes. But it's got beautiful canal or canals. Mm-hmm. It's also got old warehouses and lots of cute shops there and yummy food places. It's just, it's called Bikan area and it's very, very different to what you would imagine. Yeah. And even in wintertime when like the willow trees that line the canal, yeah. it's still a really lovely place to visit and wander around. And there's a great yeah. curry place. Oh, there's a great curry place. That's awesome. So that's one place, but also from there you can sort of head to Hiroshima and I think everyone yeah. needs to go to the Peace Park yeah. see the devastation that happened to Japan. Uh, and from there you can travel to Miyajima Island. It's not a long way to go from Hiroshima to Miyajima Island. And it's that's superb. There's a shrine yeah. there, there's a, a ropeway you can go up. Have you been on that to that place? No, I've been to Hiroshima, but haven't been out there, no. Yeah. It's not a short little sort of um, train ride up yeah. to the to the wharf. Yeah. And you get a boat across to the island and it's really easy to get there, easy to get around. Bit touristy, but if if you mm-hmm. were to go there and actually stay overnight, that's when all the tourists leave and then staying in Miyajima Island in a ryokan. Yeah. And I know one I can give you a recommendation for. It's just oh, awesome. super, super. My family have all stayed there. They love yeah. it. And just wander around there, like there's deer yeah. running around like a nutter. But it's just a different atmosphere and a really lovely place to visit. And I think that's oh. where people will feel the the love of Japan, if they, yeah. especially staying in the Ryokan and having the futon experience. So those yeah. would be mine, um, Kurashiki, st- going to Hiroshima to the Peace Park and then also travelling over to Miyajima Island. Oh, and head up Totori while you're over there. Oh, yeah. So that's, that's sort of not far away. Yeah. Because um, yeah. it's really amazing sand dunes and beautiful nature, oh, yeah. great food. Awesome. And they really appreciate visitors over yeah. there. Shout out to my husband's hometown <laughs> <just laughs> in Totori, but it's kind of there. And there's yeah. just not the tourists that you get in other places. Yeah. And you can feel like you're really in Japan. I think giving people those, like you're actually really in Japan, not yeah. in a kind of fake Japan. Yeah. Is, yeah. is really important and it's why i love it when people come and visit me in fukushima because this is real japan up here yeah there are yeah. no tourists so no you can enjoy being stared at yay <laughs> <laughs> um you know and Definitely. people are happy to see you people are thrilled that you've come yeah you know whereas cool. in, in other parts of japan it's like oh god more tourists but yeah. here it's kind of like that people will stop and say thank you for coming ah, like really cool. literally that's what happens yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. i know awesome those are some great recommendations thank you Awesome. Well, we've almost come to the end. Is there anything that you guys are doing, any games we can go and watch, any activities around rugby that we can chat about and share? Um, we play all around. We're going down to um, Osaka and to, to Hanazono a bit more this year as well. We play at Chichibu a lot, um, so definitely come and support the balls. Support. Maybe we should catch you on an away game. Go yeah. to Osaka and stay there and have some fun. There's some other mm. New Zealand things happening in Osaka at the moment. Yeah, yeah awesome. so we should do that. That sounds yeah. like a fun thing to do. Well, thank you so much, Jess, and congratulations on being a successful Jandal in Japan and for telling us your amazing story today. We can't wait to get it out into the universe and let more people know about this fantastic place called the Land of the Rising Sun. Thank you so much. <laughs> Yeah, no, thanks for having me. It's been it's been lots of fun and I'm glad we were able to finally find a time that works for us all. So, <laughs> yeah, I really appreciate it. So thank you so much. Great. Awesome. Thanks. Yes. Doing some great stuff in Japan. Yes. Bringing it. That lovely soft, strong power too. Strong, right? soft, stealth, strong power, right? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. She was so good. I just wanted to keep on talking. <laughs> yeah, I was like, can we be friends? <laughs> friends? Maybe you will hold anything that you need held at the park. We'll come, we'll help. No, very, very cool. Love what she's doing. How awesome to be representing New Zealand in this way in New Zealand rugby in Japan. Yes. Mm. Well, key to that, I mean, she mentioned relationships so many times. Yes. And how she's building that, even without language, having the assistance Mm. of a translator now. I'm sure she's building up her Japanese and being very humble. And her capability, but just, you know, relationships and that mm. she's 
hoping to do a really good job and that she does an okay job and that got her to Japan. But obviously she's been doing a great job because yeah, people they wouldn't select her. somebody yeah. like mm-hmm. her if to come to Japan. But she's got the she's got the goods. So yes. That was awesome. And how she mentioned again and again and again the relationship part of it. And I think she also underlined that, talked about building trust between her and the players, her and the coaches, her and the other supporters, right? That they can come to her for analysis. That's what she's hoping, you know, Mm -hmm. the performance analysis. I thought that was really cool. I think she's right on track. You know, she was saying, oh, I spent a lot of time. Uh, trying to get over this, you know, what can I change? What can I change? And I'm thinking three years, not that long to, or in, what did you say? 18 months, not that long to Especially spend doing COVID that situation. Mm. Yeah. 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 I think she's right. Doing it really well. And a lot of people spend a lot more time really struggling with trying to change things. That's not really your business to change here in Japan. True. And that the quicker you work that out, the easier life gets here you know, it isn't your business to change everything. Sure, some mm. things mm. are worth fighting for and can really improve things. But yeah, pick and choose your battles. You choose your battles. Yeah. Save your energy say, for what really matters. Yeah. Take your mm. time to understand the cultural differences like fully. Mm. Um, and there must have been a point too when there was a recognition that some things you just can't influence and she let it let it go. That must have been mm. quite a liberating moment to do that and let people go with that, what they wanted to do. And when they needed her expertise, they trusted her enough to come back and get the analysis. Mm. Mm. Yeah. She seemed to be able to manage that quite well. I was thinking. Mm. I, yeah. I mean, it must be challenging to be, as she said, brought here for your expertise, but then not having the tools or potentially people not believing that you can do the job or whatever, because of the situation you've come into then it's a real challenge to show what you can do when you don't have the tools that you would expect to work with. Mm. She's done some really amazing things to help build that up. Sounds like things have changed in in a good way and influence things for the better here in Japan with rugby Mm. and amongst other analysts as well. I'm sure she's a leader in the field here now. Totally in the field. Good pun. (laughs) I I think that um, Penny dropped with the way that we do rugby. It's so ingrained that we do know about it from get-go. Mm. Like we, we grow up with it, and then Japan is picking it up halfway along. No wonder they play a different game. No wonder the style is different. And the fans and really choose to be time, fans, right? They choose they, to be fans. They pick their teams, and they choose yeah. to be rugby fans, and then they get right into it. And I love that Japan makes rugby um, accessible for people. Remember when we went to see the All Blacks play, and they explained every thing that happened, like – now it's a scrum and a scrum happens because blah. And, you know, now it's a line out and the line out happens because blah. Right? They're yeah. really helping people to get to know the game here. You don't get that at baseball matches, right? When you go to a baseball match in Japan and watch, there's no, there's no explanations. Of, that was a foul. And that means that you can still keep hitting the ball or, you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> that you That's don't a get really that. key thing. If you step mm. back from that, at the first time you hear that, you think, why are they explaining all this? It's like, hello, we know this because we've grown up with it, or at least certainly most of us, a lot mm. of us have in New Zealand. And then that's why they're doing it so people can follow the game get engrossed and then use that terminology right they can say scrum um you can can become a fan they can do be a real fan and know Mm. the jargon because there's a jargon around the sport yeah yeah i love that you called Mm. out how things are changing a little bit there with the companies are all over them right the the ricos Mm. the toyotas the panasonics and of course mitsubishi heavy and her own team but how that's slightly moving to regional names coming in. And I mm. now I think about it. Yes, it, it was Saitama Panasonic Wild Nights. When did that happen? <laughs> it's a really long that, name. Someone put yeah. it in there. How did mm. that happen and why that's the move? And maybe things will change in time. I thought that was really cool and the opportunities that might be there. Yeah, players not right? actually working at Panasonic now. You know, you need to like have a job and play right and now it's not like that it's more professional just professional players coming in so it's changing a lot Mm. i think there's loads of opportunities for new zealand businesses around rugby in japan waiting to be picked up and we kiwis you know here we need to get around these teams and support them find your team that you like 
that you think there may be a few Kiwi players in there, Aussie players, whatever foreign players, Japanese players, get in there and get down to the games. We had a few relisted there, uh, one or two of them mentioned in her when mm. she was speaking. So let's just do that. We should do that more often. Get out there yeah. and go to one of the games and, and be part of the team. See, be part of the audience, the spectators there helping the you know Japanese people, high-fiving with them. We did that when we were watching. Yeah, so it was just great fun. You know, getting into mm. it a bit more perhaps. Mm. Yeah. And yeah, and she mentioned that they're the underdogs this season. So what a great team to support in their first season in this uh, new division, right? So oh, that was an awesome bit episode. Of yeah. Awesome episode. Very good. We look forward to watching your trajectory as a very successful Jandal in Japan, Jess. listening make sure you check out our guests links in the show notes this podcast is brought to you today by Catherine o'connell law and pod launch with jane if you have a great story you think should be on the show come and find us on linkedin or instagram we'd love to hear from you see you next time matane